Welcome back to Episode 5 of The Conspiracy Skeptic, a roughly 12-part review of the great conspiracies of today and the not-too-distant past. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. You probably found me via iTunes, but let me mention the website where I put links, uh, www.yrad.com forward slash cs, www.yrad.com forward slash cs. I'm not sure if I ever explicitly mentioned the website address in previous podcasts, but there you go. My last podcast about Alex Jones' endgame elicited a few interesting emails. A couple ground rules if you take the opposing view in email and want a response. First, give me a brief summation of your claim. Second, and most importantly, tell me what evidence you would require for you to abandon your position. So let me put my nickel down as regards the last episode about the Bilderbergs. I do not believe this group, at its meetings or any place else, is planning a one-world government out to enslave people and commit acts of genocide and eugenics. I would happily abandon this claim if someone invited to a Bilderberg conference produced a verifiable video of such a discussion. Video of Henry Kissinger and Queen Elizabeth clicking through their PowerPoint presentation about world domination, control of the drug trade, and the progress on developing viruses to make Africans sterile would, would be pretty hard to fake. So there, I put my nickel down. And in future podcasts, I will put my nickel down regarding what it would take me to become a true believer. I hope you can do the same. I, I stress the second requirement because a hallmark of good science and good scholarship is falsification. While I certainly do believe there are true conspiracies, the conspiracies I think are worth being skeptical about and worth mocking are those for which the proponents simply cannot articulate any evidence that would convince them they're wrong. This week's episode is a good case in point, the moon landing hoax. People believe NASA never sent men to the moon and filmed everything on a soundstage. So, up front, what would falsify my belief NASA went to the moon? Well, China is very interested in moon exploration these days. They certainly are no friend to the USA, and they sure would love to claim to be the first, not the second nation, to walk on the moon. I foresee a day when moon probes from nations like China, Japan, and India image the moon in enough detail that we should be able to look at the Apollo 11 landing site. If a Chinese probe produced a good resolution photo of Tranquility Base and found no remnants of the Eagle Lander, I would be more than happy to sign on with the true believers. I do fear, however, no evidence is ever good enough for the true believers. Imagine a case where we fly the top moon hoax theorists to the moon and show him the Apollo sites. He takes all kinds of photos. He then comes back to Earth and tells the other true believers he was entirely wrong. Would the moon landing hoax die? No. The former true believer flown to the moon is now clearly a CIA stooge or was brainwashed and his photos were faked. More amazingly, there are so many good online sources like Phil Plate's Bad Astronomy site that roundly debunked this conspiracy theory it's any wonder people believe it today. I think a lot of people in the skeptical community thought this chestnut was roasted, consumed, and flushed, that they were surprised by a two-part episode of the much-missed Penn Gillette radio show that featured Fear Factor host Joe Rogan arguing for the moon hoax. Up against Rogan was none other than the bad astronomer himself, Phil Plate. Now, Rogan is, well, okay, he's no idiot. But what I, what I think people found really disturbing about uh, these, uh, these episodes of the Pendulet radio show is how badly Phil did at, at first blush. 
Now, let me state I don't think Phil did that badly. This becomes clear upon a second listening. It's a bit like how all of your friends really talked up Porky's as being the dirtiest movie ever. Okay, I'm kind of showing my age here. And then when you saw it, you were kind of like, meh. I think we had that kind of case here with with Phil and, and Joe Rogan. Many people tuned in expecting Phil to lay out the facts in a slam dunk, and Rogan would respond like a rational being and go, ah, yes. However, Phil came up against a tactic familiar in the creation-evolution debate called the Gish Gallop, named for young Earth creationist Dwayne Gish. Basically, Gish just throws out anomaly after gap after misrepresentation. While it takes two seconds to toss out a misrepresentation, it takes the evolutionist debater several hours to adequately explain in highly technical terms why it's not the case. An audience is left with either half an answer or, or something that just doesn't make sense. It's for this reason that many, like Richard Dawkins, don't view these kind of debates as worthwhile. In science, real debates are found in the scientific literature and at technical conferences. These are forums the woo-woo crowd never ventures because they can't do basic science. Anyway, what I thought I'd do with this podcast about the moon hoax is play clips from the two debates on the Penn Radio show of Joe Rogan claims that I think kind of got past Phil. And with the benefit of hindsight and more than a couple commercial breaks to research, delve into Rogan's claims. Well, here we go evidence or I look at the fact that we haven't been back since 1972 about the fact that no one's even done a flyby around the moon since then it seems weird to me yeah why haven't we been back Phil never actually responded to this point no doubt because the answer is so bloody obvious it's a wonder Rogan even mentions it oddly he mentions it twice once at the top of the first debate and then near the end of the second debate anyway for completeness sake and because I've actually heard others raise it amazingly. Uh, let's answer it. 90% of the reason to go to the moon was to show the Soviets America could take the ultimate high ground. While there certainly was a science agenda, the true science missions were the later J missions, which were to begin with Apollo 18. As history proved out, we only ever got to Apollo 17. The J missions, I believe, are going to feature true scientists on the moon. You'll remember the late uh, Eugene Shoemaker, co-discoverer of the Shoemaker-Levy comet that smacked into Jupiter. Shoemaker was slated to be the first working scientist to walk on the moon, but sadly a gland disorder disqualified him. Anyway, the Apollo missions were going on during and after America's involvement in Vietnam. America really went in debt for both, and pretty much couldn't afford a massive space program and a massive war. So, in sum, America proved its point, the science always took a back seat, and things got too damn expensive. When I look at the press conference and I see Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and uh, Michael Collins nervous and weird and obviously, like, being deceptive after they came back, I go, what is that? I look at all that stuff. <laughs> One word. Dude. All right, let me expand. Dude, you just came back from the moon. You spent a week crapping in bags. You're not going to be a little weird at a press conference? But when I see intersecting shadows that seem to show some sort of a different light source, or more than one light source, I, it looks odd to me. The intersecting shadows claim is an example of one of those things a conspiracy type can throw out there, but requires a lot of technical explanation. It's not very friendly to a verbal debate or the time constraints of a 42-minute broadcast. 
The premises, since the moon is only lit by one light source, shadows should all be parallel. There's a rather good page that I'll, I'll link to in the show notes where someone has examined some of the photographic oddities and recreated them with a single light source and models. The so-called intersecting shadows is one of them. In short, there are no shadows that intersect. There are photos where the shadows do not look like they're running parallel, and the mind sort of completes the intersection in 3D on these 2D photos. That Joe claims to have seen these photos should kind of tell you something about the assumptions he's making. Now, contained within this claim is one of the bizarre unstated premises that moon hoaxers have to gloss over. And it's another hallmark of conspiracy thinking. NASA can masterfully carry off this hoax where not a single engineer is aware of what's going on, it's all compartmentalized at the highest levels, and yet they make really foolish primary errors in science, like using two different light sources to light their moon stage. Was NASA never aware independent photoanalysts from around the globe would be poring over these photos for decades after? When I see that those camera, those, those crosshairs aren't over all the images, it looks cut and cropped to me. The crosshairs claim is another one Phil let slide to tackle some of Rogan's meteor claims. The claim goes, in some photos, you see those crosshairs, but then some of the ends of the crosshairs appear to be behind objects, since you can't see the ends of the crosshairs. Alright, another bonehead detail the masterful NASA conspirators overlooked. And this one does seem to defy common sense. But again, that page I spoke previously that debunks claims with models deals with this as well. In some, the crosshair tips all seem to disappear behind very, very bright objects. As the page shows, the very bright objects simply wash out the fine crosshair tips in photos. And further, why is this even an issue for Joe? Let's grant crosshairs are going behind certain objects, implying the crosshairs are, what, not on the lens, but like stage props sprinkled about the moon set? NASA can't just draw these on the negatives after the fact, or etch them on the camera used to shoot the moon set? Anyone offering this as evidence the moon photos were hoaxed is simply not thinking. It's also called anomaly hunting. You ignore all the evidence for, find what appears to be unexplainable anomalies to you, proclaim them unexplainable, and then draw your conclusions. Happens there. Now, what about solar flares that occurred supposedly? Uh, there was like a lot of solar activity and solar flares that occurred while these Apollo missions were going on. Yeah. What protected those guys? And, but I thought that there were some big solar flares that supposedly occurred during the Apollo missions. There was one, you realize, of course, you know, the missions were spread out over three years. They went from 69 right. to 72, uh -huh. and they only lasted about, you know, the first one, the, the Apollo 11 mission was like, what, three days there, they were on the moon for a few hours, they turned around and got out of there. So that was only uh, one week. The later missions lasted longer, they were about two weeks. And the flare that I remember reading about happened in 72. I think it was between Apollo 16 and 17. And it was just simple luck. But there weren't any massive flares during the actual mission. The solar flare claim is bizarre in that it should be pretty easy to look up data and find out if there were any massive solar flares during a mission. To simply wave your hands about and talk about the missions being conducted during a big solar flare cycle is to simply invite people without much knowledge of science to fill in details, as if the sun was sending out massive streams of radiation during the actual Apollo missions. Now, there was a solar flare in August 1972 that happened between Apollo 16 and Apollo 17. 
However, assuming astronauts were walking around on the moon during the storm, uh, they would have absorbed 400 rem. Not necessarily deadly. According to the wiki page on radiation poisoning, 400 rem has a 50% chance of death after 30 days. However, if they were in their ship, they would have only been exposed to 35 rems. At the end of the day, the moonwalkers were former test pilots and fighter pilots. They understood taking calculated risks. And they took them. I think the unstated premise behind the solar flare argument is, since there was risk, no one would take that risk. And, well, the host of Fear Factor should understand something or another about risk-taking. All right, now, recently, um, the Apollo 15 landing site has been spotted. They believe that the... the oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You've seen that? Yeah, that was cool. It wasn't... Um, it, it, people say, this, this isn't proof we landed on the moon. It's like, well, no, it isn't. But basically... Um, when the Apollo missions landed, they disturbed the dust around them. And there's this mission called Clementine. It was a military mission that orbited the moon and took a lot of pictures. And I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Clementine picture. That yeah, just it just shows like a little, a little spot on the moon. But it's right where Apollo 15 was. Now, those of us who know we landed on the moon looked at that and went, oh, cool. And those of us who maybe have their suspicions are like, look, it's a smudge on the moon. Yeah, and, but I'll go either way question. on that. Here's my question about that. Sure. If, if there's this big smudge they can see from Clementine, how come when you look at any photos of the lunar module, the, the lander, there's no blast crater whatsoever? That was like a big like uh, point with a lot of the hoax theorists, too. The, the hoax theorists were saying that all the initial images of, uh, that NASA had drawn before uh, the Apollo launches all show that there was going to be a big blast crater. There's that famous drawing that, um, uh, what is his name, the guy that does all those old... Chesley you know, Bonestell. No, 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 I'm sorry. He's a guy that has those old friendly paintings that you always see of, like, a, you know, a guy giving a kid an apple and everyone's smiling. Norman, Rock Norman Rockwell. Rockwell, Rockwell. Yeah, Norman Rockwell actually has a painting of uh, an Apollo astronaut climbing out of one of the lunar modules, and he's standing in this gigantic blast crater. But if you look at any of the photographs of the lunar module, there's no blast crater whatsoever. So which one is it? Is there a blast crater from the lunar module, or is there no blast crater? And if there's no blast crater, then how can this Apollo 11 photograph from Clementine show a blast crater when you look at the clear, very clear photographs, the close-ups of the lunar module shows no blast crater whatsoever. Well, I'm going to have to call Norman Rockwell's alma mater and make sure they take away his aeronautical engineering degree. <laughs> That's Norman a good Rockwell, point. Uh, all the old photographs from NASA or nah, all the old drawings from NASA. When they, when they, before they'd gone to the moon, they weren't sure exactly what it was going to be like. And if you look at Chesley Bonestell, the artist I mentioned, he's the one who really, with Werner von Braun, popularized this idea of, of going back to the moon. His paintings are totally cool. But when you look at the landscapes that he drew versus the landscapes that are there, they're different. We had this idea of what the moon was going to look like that didn't turn out to be right. And so, you know, in some of these paintings, they show uh, this huge flame coming out of the bottom of the lunar lander as well. Right. But that's not true. There is no big, giant flame like that. They used a fuel which didn't make a big flame. You couldn't see it. So the, the drawings weren't that accurate. Now, when they landed... Um, there was not a blast crater, and, and this is a big theory, they, the conspiracy theories, they say there was 10,000 pounds of thrust coming out of the bottom of this thing, and it should have, you know, five tons should have blown out this huge hole. Well, yeah, it was 10,000 pounds of thrust at maximum thrust, but in fact, as they were landing, they throttled down. I mean, you don't blast out of your garage at 80 miles right. an hour, so you know. No blast crater is the point, but yet this photograph from Clementine oh, oh. supposedly is a blast crater. Right. Well, uh, or I shouldn't say right, I should say yes, that was, that was part of the point you were making. 
making. So um, the thrust wasn't as big, and it was spread out over a big area, so it didn't it didn't make a blast crater. What the what the Apollo 15 landing site image from Clementine is showing is not a blast crater. It's where the dust is disturbed. Clementine was a mission to map out. It, it had a lot of uh, it was actually a, what they call a technology tester. They used a lot of off the shelf stuff to make cheap detectors, and they were they were doing a lot of stuff with it. But one of the things it did it was it was mapping out the minerals on the surface of the moon, which is something you need to know if there's going to be something you need when you're going to go back, like a supply of oxygen or titanium or whatever. So they did this mineral mineralogical map. I am a scientist, not a linguist, and I have a hard time with some big words. But um, it, it did that, and so what it's actually mapping is a disturbance in the surface, not really a crater. So you can imagine... Um, uh, you could go out to uh, let's let's use the baseball diamond analogy again. You go to the infield. You can you can run your hand over the dust and make a disturbance in the dust without making a crater. That's what was seen. It's just where the right, dust I'm, was I'm pushed away. I'm looking at the photograph. I've seen the photo, but it's a very very big disturbance. Now, when you look yeah. at the the sites though, and you look at under the lunar module, you see nothing. You see no disturbance whatsoever. So which one is it? Is it a big disturbance or is it no disturbance? Hold on a second, Joe. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back and get that answer. You sure have questions, Joe. Now, you've got to say, Joe knows his stuff. Yes, he does. You know, and how, how many papers you got in front of you, Joe? You doing this off the top of your head? I'm doing most of it off the top of my head. I'm but impressed. I have a couple of photographs that I saved. This, this is great, Joe. Thanks so much. We're going to be back with Joe Rogan, host of Fear Factor, and who has some questions about whether we landed on the moon, and Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, and this is uh, Michael Goudeau, who's... Well, How did they find the spot? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, we know where they landed. I mean, it, I know that they, we know where they landed, but we have very clear photographic evidence of the, of, the, of the lunar module sitting on the surface of the moon with no disturbance. Yet you can see this somehow or another, this invisible disturbance from space 20 years later? That seems a little weird. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying that there's no disturbance on the surface. I'm saying there's no blast crater. The dust the was removed from that spot. Yeah, but he, 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 he can see So like what am I missing? Okay, when he keeps asking over and over okay, again, what I'm, I'm not hearing, I'm, 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 I'm let's all get into this. Yeah, Come on. I don't know why we, we stating it will help because it didn't say it okay. <laughs> he is saying that uh, there is not a discernible blast crater. You've explained why there isn't. And then he's saying, but then you turn around and say, on the Clementine images, we see a disturbance. How come we can't see the disturbance at the time it happened, and yet we can see it 20-plus years later? A large is that disturbance 20-plus years later. Okay. You know, it, it seems to me that it, the moon is, is basically a rock covered by two feet of chocolate powder. And if you blow off the powder, you get down to rock. And there's not a blast crater in the rock, but you have blown away all of the chocolate powder. Michael is precisely right, and he has said what was. <laughs> I was really stumbling over. Yes, <laughs> that's my moon. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm here to release some breaking see, NASA news. I mean, you see this image? It looks like a crater. It's not. It's just. A, it's just where the dust got blown around and mixed up. But it doesn't look like there's any dust blown around or anything happens whatsoever to the very clear, high-resolution photographs of the underneath the lunar module. Yeah, why can't we see the dust disturbance at the time, but only 20 We don't see nothing. Old? You well, see nothing. It looks exactly the same. No, no, no. When you, if you actually look at a lot of the pictures, well, of course, you can't take a picture of the landing spot before they landed. We, we don't have that technology. So we only have pictures after the lunar lander was there. And when you look under the, the, the landers, you can see... 
sort of these uh, these black radial streaks from the surface being scorched a little bit by the by I the. I don't uh, see that anywhere. That's in that's in one of the pictures I believe I've, I've seen at it. Every single one of them. I I've never seen anything <laughs> well, might, remotely okay, close I, to that. Okay, I might be wrong, but I do know that the dust was blown out from underneath these things. Sorry for the length of this clip. I felt I had to play it in full, as Rogan's Clementine argument is a bit hard to follow, and, and kind of, he shifts positions. I think it runs like this. People trying to prove man landed on the moon say, see, there's evidence of the Apollo 15 landing site. Right where Apollo 15 landed, you find this smudge. Rogan counters initially with a straw man argument. He believes that the photo is being offered as evidence of a blast crater from the LEM's descent engine. Rogan counters no photo of the Apollo 15 LEM shows a blast crater. But of course, no one claims the LEM creates a blast crater, and this smudge is not a blast crater. He then retreats to a more reasonable position. People are saying we see a disturbance of the lunar dust right where Apollo 15 landed. However, photos of the Apollo 15 lander taken by the astronauts show no kind of major disturbance of the lunar soil. While the Clementine photos show a black area, the Apollo 15 photos show a very light-colored surface. So, in Joe's mind, this cannot be used as evidence. Alright, so why do we have a Clementine photo touting a dark spot, but the Apollo 15 images show a light surface? First up, Joe does not seem to dispute the smudge represents the exact landing location. Second, when I look at photos of the Apollo 15 limb, with James Irwin saluting the flag, I clearly see darker soil under the lander and a lighter background. Do a search on Apollo 15 via Google Images. Long and short, I see dark soil under the lander and I see a dark smudge on the Clementine photo. Is this darker soil an artifact of the descent engine, or is it just the color of the soil at that spot? Other mission landing sites do not appear to have darker soil under the lander. I think the confusion comes in trying to argue this dark spot is a result of the descent engines, or it's a feature that should be found on all lander images. When Joe is claiming he doesn't remember this dust in Apollo 15 lander images, it would appear to me he's recalling images of other Apollo landers. Because, long and short of it, clearly, Apollo 15, lander, dark soil. In fact, if you speed up the video on the Apollo astronauts, to me it does not look real. It looks like they're moving at the correct speed, things falling at the correct speed, but if you look at their arms and their legs, it looks like they're, they're you know, moving really quickly. No, it doesn't. Oh, I've it seen does. the video oh, yeah. of them doing it at double speed. When they talk about them walking on the surface of the moon, that the 1-6 gravity made them move slower, but what it really was, like the hoax people think that it's half speed, that if you speed it up double, it looks like they're moving around normal speed. They don't, their arms don't look like they're moving fast at all. It looks like they're moving like a guy in a spacesuit in Earth gravity, just kind of hopping around on, on the surface of dirt. It looks like the same exact gravity. Well, I'm just going to have to agree to disagree with you here, because I've seen that video, and if you speed up the I've stuff I've seen that by... video hundreds of times obsessively. So have I, in fact, because I've been debunking guys like you, so I have to, I have to do this. They don't this. look like their arms are moving fast at all. Oh, I... You can check this yourself out at YouTube. Search on Astronauts 2X Speed. I'll put a link to it on the website. Now, maybe Joe is seeing what he wants to see, but sure seems to me the astronauts saluting arms are moving at double speed. All I'm ready for you. All Bring I'm it. saying, all I'm saying, and all I said before is, I am not claiming to be a scientist. I am not claiming to be anybody who's got any secret knowledge. I'm not claiming that I know something you don't. 
All I'm saying is I'm not afraid of looking ridiculous, and I think a lot of people are. <laughs> and I think when you look at all this evidence, a lot of people look at it and they go, well, of course we landed on the moon, and they don't want to look any further, and they stop right there. What I'm saying is the more I look at stuff, the more I see inconsistencies. I see all kinds of weird behavior from the, the astronauts. I see all sorts of weird photographic anomalies. I saw all, all sorts of weird stuff with radiation. There's a lot of weird stuff. And one of the reasons why I wanted to come on the radio with you is because I wanted to be able to ask someone about these things because I don't, I, all I'm getting is what I'm getting online. And I know you run a debunking website, right? In the second installment of the debate, Joe takes the classic, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy. I'm just asking questions position. See, he's not a conspiracy loon. Oh, no, he's just a guy who has looked beyond the coffee table books. He's just a guy that's, you know, noticed some odd things, and he just wants someone to help him figure things out. Yeah, right. You'll meet this classic conspiracy theorist out on the Internet, mostly among the 9-11 types. They never quite want to put their nickel down, which ends up meaning you find yourself debating with an ever-moving goalpost. It's best, when debating these types, to get them to put their nickel down. What is the conspiracy exactly? Do you believe the evidence best supports the made-it-happen or the let-it-happen hypothesis? Likewise, the moon hoax proponents can shift the goalpost a bit. They might say, well, Apollo 11 was a hoax, but I think we got there in later missions. But given Joe is skeptical about the Apollo 15 landing site, I would have to assume he doesn't think we ever went to the moon. Anyway, my only real comment here is just, just watch for this. I'm just an open-minded guy trying to look at the data with a fresh perspective type. And don't let your opponent take refuge in it. All right, can, so, I, can I stop you right there for a second? Yeah, a sure, let's about go. That. Uh, first of all, uh, Werner von Braun went to Antarctica in 1967 in the height of the moon race and collected moon rocks from Antarctica. Isn't that true? Like hundreds of pounds. I have heard... There's this photographs story. of him. There's videos of him there. There's 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 moon rocks that they brought back. There's video of them carrying stuff back. He went in 1967, two years before Apollo. I have not seen the the documentation for this, and I've I've looked around, but I haven't. You haven't seen the photographs this. of him in Antarctica. You haven't seen. I mean, th that's very clear. That's all. Are over they the place. online? I can look that up. Absolutely. I, I can't believe um, you don't know that. You don't. Well, you, you haven't heard that argument that Werner von Braun oh, was in Antarctica. It. Why would he go to Antarctica in the middle of the the most heated technological race in human history? And he's at the helm of it for the United States of America. And he's going to Antarctica and he's bringing back rocks. I've heard this story too, but I I've, honestly well, I have not found a lot of stuff about this. And well, I, that's ridiculous. It's rocks. all over the internet. It's all over everywhere. It's been documented. Well, it's, I've seen yeah, videos. It's all over the, um... No, 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 it's no, 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 not conspiracy sites. It's all over legitimate sites. I've seen, I've seen it on a bunch of different sites. It's documented. This one I think Phil spent a bit too much time on and didn't seem to have an adequate explanation for. A website called Clavius.org has a good debunking of this claim. Before I get into it, let me just suggest, why wouldn't Von Braun go to Antarctica? I mean, think about it. If you're going to spend the next decade in Florida... Wouldn't you jump in a chance to take a working holiday someplace entirely unlike Florida? In 1968, when von Braun went, Antarctica wasn't exactly accessible by tourists, unlike today. It was a rare few who set foot on that continent. Von Braun saw an opportunity to go someplace few people would ever go. And if I can totally talk out of my ass for a second, von Braun was a Nazi, 
Antarctica and hollow earth ideas swirled around in a lot of Nazi mythology. Who knows what von Braun was exposed to regarding Antarctica and what might have motivated him to see it for himself. I'm not suggesting, of course, von Braun believed in a hollow earth. I'm just suggesting to stay in power, von Braun might have had to be able to yap a lot about Antarctica to the Nazi brass. So he may have just developed an interest. Anyway, about Clavius Org's problems with Rogan's claim. According to Clavius, the Apollo missions brought back 850 pounds of rocks. Geologists in the last four decades have only managed to unearth 19 moon rocks from the Antarctica. Does Joe really think NASA was able to haul back 850 pounds in the space of a couple years when the best geologists can't find more than 19 rocks in 40 years? Yeah, right, Joe. I'm saying that Von Braun's history is, well, A, I, I don't think it's that clear of, of, over whether he, he, uh, he agreed with Hitler. I don't think he Are did. Are you a Von Braun apologist? <laughs> no. This I'm, is getting weirder and weirder. No, 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 no. What I'm doing is I'm pointing out that the government did something really evil. They brought back a criminal, a horrible Wait. person, and they the had him run America's evil? space program. Well, they... That's a, that's a these, horrible lie. They rescued all of these rocket scientists and brought them to America, and they were all really, really happy to leave from what I've read. Well, that, they were not because they were going to get nuked. It was either it get matter. nuked, get killed in matter. war, or Here's come over and, and live nice in Cape Canaveral. But it, it doesn't matter. The point is... That does okay, matter. Hey. That's a huge point. Oh, I don't agree. I think, well, you know, what his history was... How could you not agree was? that that doesn't show massive amounts of deception on the part of the United States government? I think this was another time waster in the debate. Von Braun was a Nazi. Fine. He wanted to make rockets. He wanted to put men on Mars. He would use any government or human to realize his goal. And then the USA used him to beat the Soviets, and we were lucky the Soviets didn't use him to beat us. And right, I, I did say Mars. We think of Von Braun as the guy who wanted to get to the moon, but Von Braun's real goal was Mars. And von Braun was actually quite displeased with NASA's actual moon plans. Von Braun thought the moon was a stepping stone to Mars. Von Braun first envisioned a space station which would let people construct a Mars ship in orbit. The moon would be the next goal as a way station to Mars. Much to von Braun's disappointment, NASA skipped the space station step and went directly for a moonshot. In von Braun's mind, NASA would never get to Mars in his lifetime, and he was more than a little disappointed. It just really seems hard to believe a guy who did whatever it took to realize his goal, you know, join the Nazis, use slave labor, string up the slowest worker of the day, whatever Rogan's claiming, would just sign on to a big hoax. I mean, he was disappointed by NASA's plans, and his dream was not going to be realized in his lifetime. He knew that. Wouldn't he blow the whistle? There's also some debate about the American government hiding von Braun's Nazi past from the American people. Phil, I think, was right. It, it wasn't hidden, but the government didn't exactly imprint it on his business cards. However, the idea that his Nazi pass was buried during the space race doesn't hold up to the facts. First, Kubrick's Nazi-saluting mad scientist, Dr. Strangelove, is generally considered a direct parody of von Braun. Pretty odd that this was so secret that in 1964, von Braun was something of an icon. Second, you'll recall those post-Sputnik American rockets that blew up on the launch pad. Those weren't von Braun rockets. Von Braun was working for the Army. His rocket, the Redstone Jupiter C, was ready to go. 
but Eisenhower decided to let the Navy's vanguard have a chance. The vanguard, you see, was an all-American project, not the product of former Nazis. So clearly, even in the 1950s, von Braun's history as a Nazi was well known. Is how do you shut all those people up? And what bothers you about that argument, Joe? Uh, well, it is a very compelling argument. What bothers me about it is that I know that in government and uh, in uh, especially in, in something as, as huge as NASA, things are very compartmentalized. You're you're not uh, privy to all the information about the entire project that you're working on. You you are given information on a need to know basis. If it's your job to design O-rings, you are designing O-rings. You don't get the 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 data and the blueprints for the entire Saturn V rocket setup. You don't you don't get all that information. The very people at the very top of the food chain would knew about it. And isn't it a little odd that a couple days before Apollo 11 launched, the head of NASA resigned? Footages. And you're talking about some grainy, low-resolution stuff. That's all we have access to. How many people really did have to know? I don't know. But I think a few. I mean, it would have to be a couple dozen. It would have to be the people at the very top. Would, would they be able to keep their mouth shut? I don't know. I don't. Joe, a TV guy, suddenly is an expert on how private companies like Boeing, North American, and Grumman designed and built the Saturn V and Lander. Joe, Joe is completely pulling this stuff out of his ass. Joe needs to read a book called Angle of Attack by Mike Gray, which tells the story of the Apollo project from the perspective of the engineers. These guys were not in any way compartmentalized. North American, the company that designed the P-51 Mustang fighter, built the space capsule. Boeing built the first stage. Anything North American added to the capsule had to be checked with Boeing. Any weight added to the capsule meant proportionally more fuel in the first stage. Everybody had to talk to everybody else. You simply can't design and build a Saturn V rocket via Joe's conspiracy-friendly method. Remember, the, these engineers mostly spent their lives building war machines in the 40s and 50s. When the Moon Project came along, these guys were mind-blowingly happy to be working on something for the betterment of mankind. If they thought for a second they were working on a sham project, they would have gone totally ballistic. Hmm, ballistic, is that a pun? I don't know. So, just let me say it again. Joe doesn't have a clue what he's talking about, and he's utterly pulling crap out of his ass to fit his bias. This is from the guy you'll remember who claims he's just, you know, looking for information with an open mind. You know, I, I go back and forth on what people are capable of, and then I go back and forth on what pe people are capable of in government. Look, there's got to be a ton of people at the very top of the CFR, at the very top of the World Banking, that know what's going on with globalization, that know what's going on with, you know, uh, the, the, the push by these banks for one gigantic global government so they can control everything. I mean, that's an absolute fact that that's all going on right now. How many people know about that, and how many people are blowing the whistle? Very few. So if they can keep their mouth shut about that, they can keep their mouth shut about anything. If it's just a few dozen people, I don't know. I don't know how many people it is. And these people would think that it would be a patriotic thing to do. You're talking about the height of the Cold War. You're talking about the Red Scare. We're afraid of Russia. There's this big thing. We want to show technological superiority over the Russians, over the Soviets. So it's possible that they would do this and think that they were being patriotic doing it. And yet the next day there was an article in the Russian newspaper that said Americans walk on the moon. And the I Russians never doubted it. I don't Soviets, know. I don't know whether or not our wars with other countries, whether or not our propaganda, whether, whether or not these arguments are all real, or whether it's the puppet on the left and the puppet on the right. I don't know who's at the the helm of all this stuff. I don't know how it all works. I don't. 
But when I look at this whole gigantic picture, it smells. Here Joe kind of lays it out on the table. Because there are no low-level whistleblowers, the secret goes higher. And because the Soviets never blew the whistle, well, the moon hoax is just one facet of a massive, massive one-world government conspiracy. I direct you to my last podcast on that topic. It's amazing, no? That Joe can see through the looking glass, expose it all on CBS radio, and yet the CFR, Bilderberg's own media complex, still employs him. Anyway, this is classic conspiracy thinking. Not the thinking of a man who self-proclaims. He's just approaching this as an inquisitive, open-minded individual. When it suggested the USA's mortal enemy, the Soviet Union, would have easily blown the whistle or cast doubt, instead of Joe going, okay, that's reasonable, let me take that under advisement, Joe simply counters, well then, the Soviets must be part of the plot too. It's a bit like those overzealous prosecutors that find out 10 years later DNA evidence has exonerated the guy they put away. Instead of the prosecutors going, huh, I really read that evidence wrong, they fall back on, well, okay, the guy didn't actually rape the woman, but I'm pretty sure he was there watching or holding her down. When he can simply dispense with the whole Cold War as mere one-world government theatrics, there, there's no rubber ducky in Joe's mind that can be sunk by a reasonable preponderance of the evidence. What if yourself uh, right into a corner? But with the moon landings, there is actually objective evidence and that, that, that machines went to the moon and that men went with them. And one of them is that people observed this stuff. There are levels of the conspiracy theory where they say the rocket went up and they just dumped it in the Atlantic. I actually argued with a guy. One of the guys was actually the producer of the Fox TV show, the conspiracy theory show that came out in 2001. He said that. He said the rockets never even went into space. And I laughed and said the, you know, there, were, there were people who stood on their front porches and watched the Apollo uh, satellites passing overhead as, as they did that. So that doesn't work so well. But in fact, um, these Apollo missions like Apollo 8, um, as they went to the moon, they were tracked by uh, ground-based telescopes. If you go on the web and look up Apollo 8 fuel dump, you will actually find pictures of these taken through telescopes. Mm-hmm. TAM radio operators were actually able to track these missions to the moon. Um, and, and the thing about those is that's a directional signal. If the, if, the, if the machines didn't actually go to the moon, then the ham radio operators would have, wouldn't have been able to... How, how, the, ham, how, doesn't the, prove that there was people how do the ham radio operators track this? I don't. I just don't understand the technology. I don't. I don't either. Okay. <laughs> and and I'm I'm just I'm throwing this out there. But you don't understand just, it. Then from, what do you mean? How can you? From not what understand? I have read. From what I have read. You, Online. You, you have to pick up on my signals. website. Yeah, on your website. On my message your board. <laughs> That's where you get all that. So, <laughs> that is where you got these, it, huh? But these things. But it was also tracked by Australia. There's a very cute movie called The Dish, which is not hugely historically accurate. It's, a, it's, it's like a collection of a bunch of different things that really happen and all kind of slapped together. But, Phil, I've got to stop you right there. But in fact, right the there. Australians had their telescopes viewing this. And, and you could say, well, maybe this just means that we sent rockets to the moon. Because we did. But, but then, okay, but then the thing gets a little bit more complicated because one thing that the, the Apollo astronauts did, uh, several of them did, and they did this on Apollo 11, is they left things on the moon like these retro reflectors. So did the and Soviets. The Soviets um, did it twice with Lunko Hood and Lunko Hood Two, with with you know unmanned lunar probes. They left two laser reflectors, and you could send a laser up to right now. Um, the, the laser two. One of them is functional. One of them doesn't work so well. I think um, one of them got covered with dust or didn't get placed correctly or something like that. Uh-huh. And so that um, that proves nothing. For the Russians, that's the same thing well, as the, the same thing as the moon rocks argument. 
hang on, when you are putting one of these things on the moon, if you know you're going to be putting it with a robot, then you have to design it so that it, it has a fail-safe, so that it, it, it gets put in there correctly. Or you have some way of, 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 of uh, uh, watching over it so you know the robot's doing this correctly. If you're just going to do this with people, and, and these things look like giant ice cube racks. They're just like yeah, huge. Yeah, I've seen them. But Phil, they're um, the brand designer. These aren't people in a sweatshop sewing, you know, catching different clothes. No, they're scientists. These are top engineers, and they're, they're managers and managers above them that well, does all this stuff Phil. together. I hate, to, I hate to help Joe on this, but on the Challenger, Richard Feynman did point out very clearly on the O-rings that there was a problem with a too strong a hierarchy at NASA, and the people at the bottom were not speaking up and did not have uh, communication up to the top there. Yeah, and that's, what, 1989? Was that? I don't know um, this would be a quiz. Challenger was 86. Um, this, uh, 86? Yeah, I just graduated high school. school. You're I'm right. blanking. I think it was 86. Um, but that's when there was a problem in the pieces they were making. Right. And so what I'm, I'm not saying that, that um, people aren't going to report it. I'm saying that what this does is this opens up all of these managers who are in charge of this thing would have been able to see that there was a problem. It's not that there was a, a an upwards whistleblowing hierarchy that was stifling people from talking. Would, it's just that you're just involving more and more people in on this conspiracy, and at some point, conspiracies fall apart of their own weight. Now, Joe, I want to ask... Here, I think, is the best argument for the moon landings. Again, one that Joe has to simply hand-wave away by making out of whole cloth how engineering work gets done in private companies. And again, I have to direct Joe and other deniers to read Angle of Attack. Read it and then come back and tell me that the whole engineering and design aspect could be so highly compartmentalized as to cloak the single most complex human mission ever from the very people making the damn things. There are laser reflectors on the moon. They were either placed there by robots or by humans. If they were intended to be placed by humans, and the engineers were being called on to design an automated system for something they're going to place by hand, they would simply know this. There's no way around that. Not one engineer has ever come forward going, hey, I designed a robot laser reflector that never seemed to get used. Or, hey, I designed that Apollo laser reflector, but oddly I had to design it as if a robot would place it. They, they don't have the telemetry data from the Apollo 11. Isn't that like the most important data? Isn't that like the most important thing? A huge technological achievement. They landed a man on the moon, brought him back, and they're missing the telemetry data? 14,000-something reels? They're missing... A lot of that stuff was, um, was not... Because you can't fake it. You can't fake the telemetry data. Okay, Joe says clearly you can't fake the telemetry data. Let, let me let me let me play that again. Because you can't fake it. You can't fake the telemetry data. You can't fake the telemetry data. So this is why the Apollo 11 data was lost. But wait, don't we have the telemetry data from Apollo 12, 14, 15, 16, 17, and let's throw in 13 for good luck. Since that can't be faked, as Joe maintains, does Joe then accept this as evidence? One of the things that's most irritating about this, uh, about this conspiracy theory for someone like me is that a lot of this stuff is really subtle and complicated. And 14,000 reels of telemetry data for the most technological achievement in human history that's not stored in the Smithsonian Institute, it's not stored in NASA vault, it's not labeled, it's not under lock and key, it's not in a gold vault. There's, there's nothing weird about that. 
I can't say anything about 14,000 reels. I don't know the number. And so, yeah, it's, you know, four, that's it's true, like 13,000 or 14,000. I forget. I Either way, it's more than 100, which is crazy. You've lost more, um, if you lost more than 100 of the telemetry, that, that, that's insane. It, it, a lot of the stuff was owned by contractors. It was shelved. They weren't paid to store it, and it's, it it's went NASA. away. It's NASA. It's NASA. NASA lost it. This is the, the hard know, NASA footage. Lost, NASA, NASA is not just NASA. NASA is civil servants. NASA is 10 different contractors. There, were, there was North Grumman. There was North American. Nice. Yeah, there Grumman was lost other stuff. Guys. So did Boeing. They lost all their information, too, on the moon buggy, on the lunar module. They lost so all that the, stuff. This is How a, convenient. This is a, a, it's another it's another argument brought up by conspiracy theorists. Not to me. Um, the, each one of these missions, each one of these lunar landers was different. It's not like they designed a car and then just cranked them out. They had an overall design, and then each one was different. Each one they had to note all of these changes and everything. It was all done on paper. Right. It's pretty clear Joe has never worked in a large high-tech company. But I think anyone would not be surprised stuff goes missing. I'm still the hell wondering where those Photoshop manuals went back in 1998. You think that temp walked with them? I don't know. Anyway, people quit. People aren't sure it's their job to archive stuff. They think someone else has that job. There's the famous maxim, don't blame on malevolence, which can adequately be explained by incompetence. And Boeing and Grumman lost their plans? Really? Well, there is an urban legend that Boeing destroyed the Saturn V plans. Fact is, the plans still exist on microfilm at the Marshall Space Flight Center. Here, let me quote a Space.com article on this issue. Uh, Paul Shawcross from NASA's Office of Inspector General came to the agency's defense in comments published on CCNet, a scholarly electronic newsletter covering the threat of asteroids and comets. Shawcross said the Saturn V blueprints are held at the Marshall Space Flight Center on microfilm. Quote, there's no point in even contemplating trying to build a Saturn V. The real problem is the hundreds of thousands of parts that are simply not manufactured anymore. The Federal Archives in East Point, Georgia also has 2,900 cubic feet of Saturn documents, he said. Rocketdyne has in its archives dozens of volumes from its knowledge retention program. This effort was initiated in the late 1960s to document every facet of F1 and J2 engine production to assist in any future restarts. One can also go to a website, spaceone.com, and find all sorts of online and offline blueprints, manuals, and bits of hardware. If the moon landings were a hoax, why, for example, are there surplus lithium hydroxide uh, canisters floating around? These are the CO2 scrubbers that played a starring role in Apollo 13. <laughs> if I was he, running he things, was getting, okay, put the EFI words probably better. If I was he, running, they things, were no, doing no, they were doing some right. tests, and the communication systems weren't working right because they were these guys were working day in and day out, and it wasn't working right. And he got really frustrated, and he hung a lemon in there, and he was actually yelling something about how are we supposed to get to the moon if we can't talk between two buildings? Right now, and if they're willing happens, to kill you know, you Gus Grisham, like let's. Uh, I'm not saying they did. If they are willing to kill Gus Grisham, would they not kill the guy with the big mouth who designs the O-rings? Of if course they kill, would. If they're going to kill Gus Grissom and uh, 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 Chaffee and White as well, are they going to do it in the most publicly humiliating way that they possibly could, which almost destroyed the Apollo program and made NASA look really, really bad? Or, Two years later, they were on know, the moon. Would they have thrown a toaster in his bathroom? It didn't even. It didn't <laughs> even set them off for a hitch. Two years later, they were on the moon. They showed that they could do it. They showed that if, if, if you're going to kill a guy and you're going to kill him inside the lunar module on the launch pad, that's going to show who did it. The Apollo 1 fire 
um, was a crippling blow to NASA. It, it, it ground the, the program to a halt for months and months where they couldn't get any work How done. How can you say that when 24 months later they were on the moon? Uh, I think he just conceded defeat there. 67? Who, me? No, no. Joe just said two, months, two years later they were on the moon. But yeah, I, yeah. No, were you, were you yeah, saying that they did Two years later they were on the moon. I think we're done. Cue the music. <laughs> Not that easy, no. bitch. Um, because because the, uh, um, the test that they were doing, you got to realize that this... The, the, the hardware was already pretty close to being finished. Now, they did have to redesign the hatch, and they did have to redesign a lot of the stuff, and that slowed things down. But they were, they were still able to, to put all this stuff together. And um, it just it doesn't make sense that they would kill him in such a public way. Okay. You throw a toaster well, in the guy's bathtub. You well, know, I, I, I disagree entirely. Accident. I disagree entirely. They shot Kennedy in the middle of the street. I disagree entirely. Uh-oh. I, uh-oh. I think we may <laughs> be done here. <laughs> we know. We're not but, done here. I do want to get back to James Webb here for a second. James Webb was the head of NASA. He was the NASA administrator, like the way uh, Mike Griffin is now. Now, he did not resign days before Apollo 11. When did he, he actually resign? resigned. I looked it up in September of 1968. So it was almost an entire year before Apollo 11. Now, this was right before... Um, uh, uh, Is that true? Because I read online that he d- he resigned days before. Well, yeah, it depends on where you read. You know, you could read conspiracy sites. You can read stuff that's based in reality. So you got to do that too. <laughs> well, no, no, um, no, 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 no. I have gone way out of my way to read only pro NASA sites that I didn't get any BS. Well, let's see here. Um, James Webb, NASA retired. Here we go. Another example of how if something doesn't quite make sense, say killing Gus in in a very public way, one that might jeopardize the gravy train, Joe needs to widen the conspiracy. Also, most of the astronauts were speed freaks, by which I mean they drove sports cars and flew high-performance jets to keep up their flying skills. If you wanted to silence an astronaut, there's an easier way to do it. Indeed, a couple of the early pilots training for the Apollo missions were killed in accidents. Edward Givens was killed in a car accident in 1967. Clifton Williams, who would have probably been on Apollo 12, was killed while piloting his T-38 jet. Anyway, there are many, many ways to make it look like an accident. In the face of this rather rational idea that the conspiracy doesn't kill people in a public way, Joe needs to invoke another unproven conspiracy, namely the Kennedy assassination. But again, this is just a guy who is trying to take a fresh look. Really. He is, as Penn likes to say, pot committed. Alright, well, that brings us to the end of episode 5. Look forward to another installment uh, soon, probably a couple weeks from now. I believe probably the next podcast I'm going to do will be on the, the Federal Reserve Banking System. Sounds exciting? Yeah. Got to do some research. Bye-bye.